We're going to move into a time of uh, celebrating communion this morning. In communion, one thing we do is remember. Uh, we remember the cross. We remember the uh, blood that's been poured out for you and me, the body that was broken. We remember Jesus. We remember how through the cross, how, he, uh, how we have been forgiven, how his righteousness has covered our unrighteousness. We remember that we've fallen short and that he has rescued us. I remember uh, when I took my grandma's car for a spin when I was in seventh grade. Um, I remember trying to lie to my parents when they asked me why the, why the seat was scooted back further than how grandma typically had it. Um, I remember cheating on that study guide and just using somebody else's to get by. I remember um, swearing at my friend when he blocked my shot and taking the Lord's name in vain because I had messed up. I remember making fun of and mocking other people so that, uh, so that others would laugh. I remember holding bitterness in my heart toward those who had hurt me. I remember lusting after women. I remember lying in order to make myself look better. I remember thinking I, I didn't need a savior and I, I, I was good enough on my own to get to heaven. I remember blowing my lid and sinning in my anger. I remember being very stingy with my money, thinking this, this money's mine. It's not anybody else's, it's mine. It's not God's, it's mine. I remember hurting my wife and sinning against her. I remember being apathetic toward discipling my own children. I remember neglecting to love my wife like Jesus and operating in our marriage with just a very self-centered heart. I remember coveting for more and more stuff, thinking that more and more stuff would lead to true joy. I remember idolizing things and people uh, who were never intended to be worshipped or uh, idolized. I remember, I remember neglecting the word and its priority in my life. I remember a lot. And in short, I remember how I've sinned against my creator before I was saved, after I was saved. It's not a joy-filled trip down memory lane when you remember how you've sinned. It's not a journey that, um, uh, that you like to spend much time on. And yet just a couple minutes quickly reminds you of how you've, how you've fallen short, how I've fallen short how I've disregarded the one who has laid down his life for mine, how I've dishonored him and sometimes just flat disobeyed him. Uh, but you know that those memories lead to, those, those memories don't actually, uh, whether they're memories from a day old or 25 plus years old, those memories don't lead to sorrow, but they lead to worship. They lead me to worship the one who saved me, who sought me out when I was lost, who took a a jacked up kid like me and saved me, who loved me through my pride and through my wandering and through my outright rebellion, who loved me not because I was great, but because he is, but because he is great, who took on my guilt and my shame and my hurt and bore the weight of that. And by his wounds, we are healed. We're told of that in scripture. In communion, we remember how we've sinned. We confess that. We ask his forgiveness. We repent. We, we turn from it. We bring it into the light and yet we also remember the good news. We remember truth like Hebrews 8.12 says, For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Isaiah 43.25 says, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. Or Psalm 103, 8-12, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. 
For as, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. It's good to remember. Uh, because when we remember the truth of, when, when we do that, we remember the truth of who Jesus is, what he's done, and in light of that truth, it leads us to worship. It leads us to this grateful heart. It leads us to a thankful, uh, grateful heart. You don't have to be a member of Crosspoint to take communion this morning. The Bible, says need, the Bible says you need to be a believer in Jesus Christ. You need to have turned from your way of living, turned toward Jesus, trusting in him and his work on the cross alone for your forgiveness and for your salvation. Believers are those who remember that they have sinned. They remember that they've fallen short, and yet they also remember when they turned. Maybe, maybe it wasn't a specific day, but you can remember that at some point you were walking down this path toward yourself, toward your own pleasure, and toward what you wanted. And at some point, your life shifted. Your life changed. The, the, the direction of your heart began to be lived with, no, no, I'm not living for myself. I'm, I'm living for the one who saved me. I'm living for Christ. I'm living for his glory. And, and you recognize that the repentance has changed. Our repentance has happened. A change of, a change of mind, a change of, uh, of living has happened. And now your life's focus is is fixed on Christ alone. He's your Lord and Savior, and you live daily in light of remembering that truth. If you're not a believer today and God is calling you out this morning to receive him into your life, I pray you'd respond to that call. To remember the sin, to remember the cross, to remember that Jesus died for you and rose again, and he conquered in that process, he conquered sin, death, the devil, he conquered the grave. And if you want to give your life to Jesus today, then I invite you to take communion let that physical act of, of eating the bread and drinking the juice be the starting point to your new faith in Christ and a lifelong journey. So this, is, this goes beyond today. The lifelong journey of following and obeying and loving and being devoted to the one who has saved you. So we'll walk back using the outside aisles and then return using the center aisle. Take a cup of the bread and, and uh, a cup of the juice and a piece of the bread and you can go on both sides of the tables as you go back there. And then just respond, come back to your seat, respond, pray, confess, worship, thank. Just talk to your Father in heaven who sent his Son to rescue us. So let's stand up and take communion together. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was, he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat the bread. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink the juice. Lord, we are grateful for your sacrifice. We are thankful. Because when we remember our, our, our life, we remember the, the sin we remember your goodness that you would save us. And we remember your grace that has covered that sin. I thank you for the truth that you've separated it as far as the east is from the west and you remember it no more. And I pray that you would set us free from um, some sort of sin that might be plaguing our lives. I pray that you would remind us of your goodness and your grace in the gospel this week. We love you, Jesus. In your name, amen. Well, happy Thanksgiving. Uh, if we haven't met before, my name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, we're thankful that you're with us, and I hope you had a good Thanksgiving uh, weekend so far. 
My plate for Thanksgiving dinner has a little bit of everything on it. I've got some mashed potatoes and some sweet potatoes and some dressing and some turkey and then some corner bean, green beans and maybe a roll and, and all that kind of piled onto one china plate that you hope by the grace of God will hold and, um, and, and maybe some gravy on there as well. Uh, my question is, how do you manage the gravy on your plate? I think there are three ways you work with the gravy uh, in my experience, all right? You either don't like it, which I admit is just kind of sad. I'm sorry for you and we will pray for you. Um, so you don't like it or you like it, and, but you only put it on your potatoes and your turkey. Um, like you dig the little uh, gravy pond in your taters, and you pour it there, and then you pour a little bit on your on your turkey as well. That's me growing up. I was the kid who, who liked compartments and didn't want my food to touch, so um, maybe you can relate to that. I've, I've matured, and some sanctification has taken place, so I'm okay with some food touching one another, but that's kind of how I operate. Now, others of you handle the gravy this way. You load up your plate, and for the most part, you just kind of run your whole plate under some, some sort of gravy waterfall, if you will, and it's covering your veggies and your meat and your potatoes. You're sopping up your gravy with the roll, all right? So let's do a quick survey here uh, among those three options. Uh, if you're an anti-gravy person, like that whole paragraph is just gross for you to, I keep saying the word gravy, and just as gross as you out, all right? If that's you, you know, raise your hand. All right, we're glad you're here. Thanks for your honesty. Um, if you're the gravy pond people, where gravy doesn't venture too far past uh, mashed potatoes and turkey, maybe ham, all right, if that applies to you, you want to raise your hand? All right, you're the saved people, that's good. Um, right, but, uh, um, or uh, if you're the person who lavishes their plate with gravy with the same generosity that God lavishes his love on his children, all right, if that's you, raise your hand. All right, that's pretty even, pretty close. Learn something new about you. Um, all right, so all that to say, <laughs> um, today's service, our gathering is a bit like a Thanksgiving dinner plate, uh, a little bit of everything. We're doing a couple of videos, some testimonies, a, uh, a message in there some, at some point, some encouragement regarding the Christmas season as well. It's a bit of a unique service. Um, one thing, the one thing kind of tying it all together, drizzled over all of that, and I know this sounds like the obvious answer, but it's Christ, it's Jesus. It's been that way over the last three months. We've we tried to be really intentional about reminding, that Jesus, reminding us and being challenged that Jesus must be first or central in our lives and every part of it. Over the summer, I felt like the Lord was really saying that as a church, we needed to spend considerable time focusing on putting Jesus first and central in our individual lives and as the church, really lifting him up and then practically looking at, looking at, okay, what does that look like then in daily life? The book of Colossians has led us well in that. And if you missed a week or this is your first week here, I'd encourage you to listen online. So on top of this service, through every part is Jesus. He is who we worshiped uh, as we sang and gave. Who is, he is who we remembered in communion. And he will be the thread that kind of ties the rest of this morning together. So with that, we'll talk about a couple things and then we'll We'll keep moving through the service. Let's talk Christmas season first. I don't know about you and your house, but it's in full swing at our house, and I love it. I love the Christmas season. Uh, one of the challenges that we face every Christmas season is trying to be intentional about slowing down and really trying to keep our focus on the whole point of Christmas and not necessarily what it has become to try to walk in contentment and yet give gifts and try not to unintentionally lead our kids down this path of, I need more in order to be happy. It's a tension uh, that you just live in during the season where you want to give, and yet whether you have children or not, you want your focus to be on giving to others and, and not just receiving. 
There are a lot of uh, Advent ideas out there for families or individuals to kind of help us remember that and reflect on the beautiful Christmas story and all the truth that's behind it. One Advent calendar Cross Pointer recently shared with me was one from Life Song for Orphans, which is an incredible ministry uh, based out of Gridley right down the road. And here's a short video highlighting their ministry. All right, uh, Life Song has put together a calendar called Advent for Orphans. It starts today, December 1st, and then runs through uh, Christmas Eve right up to Christmas on each day. Uh, here's an example of it. They're back at Guest Connections. On each day, there's a, there's a way for you to pray for orphans on the back, and then on the front side, little windows to open up with a couple verses to, uh, uh, to read, one or two verses, three verses to look at uh, each, each day to kind of remind you about God's heart for orphans, as well as an example. Here's uh, give 40 cents for every Bible in your home. So kind of just uh, unique ways to, to set aside money throughout uh, December. And then at the end, then send that check or send that money straight to LifeSong, which will then go straight to impact children worldwide. So uh, LifeSong created, uh, printed up 60 of these for us. So I've already snagged one, so we're down to 59. But I encourage you to, uh, to get one at Guest Connections and use this as an opportunity to, to be reminded throughout this Christmas season where it can be like, just like, what about me? What am I getting? What am I receiving? And to be reminded about the least of these, to be reminded about God's heart for uh, the orphans, to be, to be reminded of a global view of things and not just kind of a, uh, a me-focused Captain You planet kind of, uh, uh, that's a Brian Regan comment. Uh, some of you get that, others of you don't. But, um, but just be reminded that it's not about us. It's uh, all about Christ and all about his heart for the world. So, all right, the last two weeks in our first series, we talked work and mission. Uh, Eric did a great job of talking about how all we do, uh, including our work, is to be intended for God's glory and for his purposes. Then last week, we looked at Jesus is first in our mission and how we've been called to, to go and show and tell the good news to those around us. Specifically, last week, we looked at Colossians 4, 2 through 6, which are some uh, fitting verses for us to reflect on, especially this month. They, uh, they say this, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. So those verses in mind, uh, I know some of you like Duck Dynasty. Although we don't have cable, we've enjoyed watching a couple of the past seasons uh, in different ways. And so I ran across this video a while back, and I think it's fitting. I haven't been able to squeeze it in the past couple months or ca- past couple weeks because I just, I guess I just like to talk. All right, and I like to fill the space. But I, I really think um, it's an appropriate video for us to be to consider our work and to consider our mission and how those kind of weave together. So let's watch this. So the phone rings back when I answered the telephone. Those days are over. I said, hello, Duck Commander. Guy said, I need to order a duck call. Okay, what do you need? of the guy ordering the duck call. He used God's name in vain about five times. 
just while ordering a duck call. I said, let me ask you something. Why would you keep using God's name to curse this and that and the other? Why would you do that? I said, he's the only one who can save you from death. Why invoke his name like that? I said, you still there? He said, yeah, horse, I'm still here. You got my duck call coming? I said, I got it coming. And he went, about 10 minutes goes by, the phone rings again. Hello, duck commander. The guy said, hey, it's me again. I said, the question is still on the table. Why would you do that? Curse and invoke the creator of the cosmos like that. I said, he can save you from death. You are going to die of something one day, right? He said, yeah, I'm going to die. He said, Mr. Robinson, I've never thought about that. I said, well, don't you think you ought to? I mean, give me a break. One week goes by. Knock on the door. I said, come in. This dude steps in. Got another guy with him. He said, you know who I am? I said, I don't think I've ever met you. He said, I'm that guy that was using God's name to curse anything and everybody. I said, so you did come. He said, I got a note. I said, you boys want to go down on the river like they did in the book of Acts? They said, yes, sir. 17 years went by, and Miss Kay said, Phil, you have a speech to give over in Alabama. I had long forgotten those guys. So I'm I'm eating a steak with the preacher, and some guy comes up and he said, Robinson, do you remember the guy that was cursing and carrying on on the telephone, and you called him on it, and he drove over there and was converted to Jesus? I said, I remember that dude. I said, you know, he was from Alabama. He said, what are you talking about? He's one of the leaders of this church now. He wants to talk to you. open to it, and you pray for God to open the door. Uh, We talked all about that last week. Um, God will use you in ways that um, you you may not envision or ways that you you wouldn't write up, but God's writing it. So I encourage you to say yes and be open to that. Last couple weeks, many of you have been saying yes to the Lord to be his hands and feet to those who've been impacted and devastated by the tornado on uh, November 17th. And thank you. Thank you for using your abilities and your gifts and your resources and your time Uh, that God has given you to serve and be his hands and feet and to love others. And it's so encouraging to watch. And I invited a couple cross-pointers to share this morning about their experiences. Kelly and Donna, you guys want to come up? They've both been serving uh, with the Salvation Army 
and I wanted them to have an opportunity to share not only how the Lord's been uh, using them, but also impacting their own hearts and lives through, through serving. Uh, I know neither one of them are up here, or neither one of them said yes to this because they wanted to uh, glorify themselves in a sense, but they wanted to glorify the God who's called them and is at work in them. So I just wanted them to share and to be encouraged by their testimonies. I'm Kelly Van Middlesworth. I'm going to start by saying I absolutely do not want to be up here. (laughs) The only reason I'm up here is because I know God wants me to be up here. I deal with anxiety and severe panic attacks. I can't really focus on anything at all. terrible with people and I have a tendency to be way too blunt so me standing in front of you is completely of God last week Dave said when we share our story to start with our mess My mess is abuse. For a lot of my life, I've been abused. Mentally, sexually, physically. And anytime something hurt my heart, I would just harden it a little so it didn't hurt so much next time. really got to the point where I felt like God would never use me for anything that required a tender heart. I honestly thought that I had went through so many things because God's plan for me was to be tough and straightforward with people. But my heart got so hard. that I no longer knew how to be a good parent. I realized I had never been a good friend. And I was a horrible wife. I really did not want to live anymore. I just couldn't live without without feeling. So one day I laid on my closet floor and I begged God to either take me or change me. changed me inside and out. He cleansed me. He made me a completely different person. Just I would never believe such a story if I hadn't lived it. 
I was saved when I was a little girl and I had done, just lived this life for myself the entire time. He changed me and he's been doing huge things around me ever since. With everyone that I come in contact with. So after the tornado, I wanted to do something. I wanted to find something to do. In fact, I went to somebody's land to help pick up their things. And it just didn't feel right. God just told me that I wasn't supposed to be there, that I shouldn't be doing that. And it made me sad, but I listened. So Dave asked for... people to volunteer with the Salvation Army to just let people vent and pray with them if they needed it. It was way out of my comfort zone. But I did it. I was first in line. God told me to do it. And so I did. The Salvation Army wanted us to take a class so we knew how to really help the people that were hurting. And they spoke of the power of presence, which is basically loving people like Jesus and only using words if you have to. I left that class that night, and I really was just in awe that God would even put me in the class it was obviously something that required a tender heart. But he gave me a piece about it and he just told me that's where I was supposed to be. That's how he wanted to use me. And every single day that I went there to help, I was in tears my whole way there, just not believing that this is what he had for me. But he continually just brought people to me. He brought me the exact people that he wanted me to love and connect with. And I loved them with the power of presence. But it turned out to be so much more. He would bring their needs to light, and sometimes he would just give me the answer right away. Other times he would wait for me to pray, go home the next day. But he always, he always just sh- sh- gave me the answer, gave me the information. His plan wasn't only for me to listen to them vent, it was to help them find cars and homes and change their lives. And he was using me. I 
I watched God prove over and over all week long that he has a plan for each and every one of us. It doesn't matter what you've been through. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you are today. He used people that had nothing left but the clothes on their back to encourage pitiful, used me. And he used me to turn people's entire lives around. God shows me that he gives us each exactly what we need when we need it to accomplish what he wants. All we have to do is listen and follow. microphone every day, so bear with me here. Um, I feel very ill-equipped to be doing this and standing here in front of you today. Um, I know a lot of you guys have stories um, from the disaster that happened. Um, many people have been the hands and feet of God in our congregation and in our community, and it's been overwhelming, as you all know. Um, my story starts back a couple years ago, actually, a couple two and a half years ago. Um, people that know me know that I love the South. Um, and in April of 2011, there was a devastating tornado that hit northern Alabama. And at that time, that devastation hit me in a way that I never was prepared for. Um, Soon after the tornado hit down there and seeing all the destruction on the news, um, I had talked to my husband about, what do you think if we put the word out and see if people will donate? If we get enough stuff, we drive it down there. And he kind of looked at me like, are you kidding? <laughs> but um, in putting the plea out on Facebook and calling friends and family, we had an overabundance of items to take down to um, a donation place um, in northern Alabama. And uh, over a weekend, we had prepared our daughter off to go to prom, and that evening, we set off in the car, the three of us, um, from Muscle Shoals, Alabama, and delivered a carload of items to a Baptist church down there. And in doing that, God had really shown me how he can provide and what he can do um, through people. And um, it was a blessing to me and to my family. Um, we saw a lot. And you know, sometimes you think, how is God using me? How is he preparing me? And um, at that time, I didn't understand really what the, what the deal was. You know, why am I so distraught over this tragedy states away? Um, but he was preparing me. <laughs> um, fast forward to November 17th. Um, on that Saturday before on the 16th, Kelsey and I had shared a day of moms 
mom and daughter shopping time. And um, I kept thinking to myself that evening and talking with her and what her plans were for the rest of the night, I kept thinking to myself, I really wish that you would just come home and stay with us tonight. Um, kind of back, go back a little bit more. In, in August, she had moved out of the house um, to be closer to work and school at ICC, and she was living in Washington. Um, so this particular weekend, I knew that she was going to be at the apartment herself. Her three roommates were going to be gone, and she wanted to take the the solitude, the peace, and the quiet to catch up on sleep, as a college student needs to catch up on sleep, and also to take the day and study. I think I had said it to her a couple times, why don't you just come home and stay with Lane and I, because actually my husband, Troy, was at, in Chicago for the weekend, so had this odd sense about me that I just felt cold to say it to her one more time, but I didn't want to bug her, I didn't want to be that mom, so... I kind of let it, let it go. That evening, I still had this uneasy, odd sense and feeling. Um, in the morning on November 17th, getting up and um, getting ready for church, I flipped on the Weather Channel, which is my staple on Sunday mornings, and um, had seen that we were going to be getting some severe weather. And I thought, of course, the weekend that Troy is gone. and. Um, we were supposed to help tear down after church, so I felt like I needed to be here. Well, we came for the second service, just Lane and I. And um, if those of you that were here during second service on um, the day of the tornado, um, it was just kind of an, an uneasy, odd feeling that I had. Um, you know, when they start shoving the kids into the bathrooms, <laughs> you know that maybe something is not not quite right. Um, people's phones started going off, and I had actually gotten a message from a friend that said, he had said that a tornado had touched down in East Peoria. So, being the worrying mom that I am, I texted Kelsey. I knew that she was home in her apartment, and I texted her, and I just said, be aware, you know, the weather could get bad. Be ready to go downstairs if you need to. Um, side note, she is on the third floor of her apartment building. Um, so knowing that day that was bringing bad weather, um, and then we actually exited the building 10 minutes after the service started, um, I, we just got home. I mean, there was no order about it. Just Lane and I just get home because this is not going to be good. Um, my worry wasn't about our home. My worry was about Washington. I don't know why. I just had this uneasy feeling. I knew that I had texted her. She had texted me right back saying that, okay, she was going to watch for the, for the weather. Um, but on my way home that day, on our way home that day, um, driving very fast, um, hearing my 16-year-old son say, Mom, slow down, be careful. Um, My phone rang, and it was a number that I did not recognize. Um, and it was, it was hard to understand the, the, the phone conversation, but it was Kelsey. And what I did get from it was that she couldn't find her phone and that she was safe. I did not know at that time that a tornado had touched on so closely to her apartment. Um, in looking back um, on, 
um, the events of that hour. Um, her apartment is right on the southeast edge of the storm's path. Um, all the other three-story structures on her side of the street uh, have at the most two stories left. Um, it, it just barely scraped this, the what, northwest corner of her building. Um, when you look at an aerial view of the, of the area, um, it literally looks like God just placed his hand around her apartment building. Um, those images didn't come until later, um, but during the time of not knowing where she was, um, I knew she was safe. I just didn't always know where she was at, if she was able to get out of the structure that she was in. Um, she had ended up going to a nearby school where she took cover for the afternoon. But anyway, um, that's kind of my personal story in it. And at the time, I remember thinking, how am I not as miscombobulated or whatever about this storm like I was with Tuscaloosa? But um, I think it, that at that time, God had prepared me to show me face-to-face what that destruction was like, what those people go through, and what, what all that was going to entail. Um, the next day after the storm, um, we were still just kind of reeling from everything that had happened that night, on Sunday night. I should back, go back again. Um, that Sunday evening, knowing, too, that Soldier Field was being evacuated, and that's where Troy was at. Once I got my family home, I was okay, obviously. Um, we had family, a, a driveway full of our family that evening. Um, I had a quarter's worth of apartment living in, dumped in my house. We were able to get pretty much all of her belongings home. Um, and so we definitely had a community of our family there. Um, and it was such a relief, such a thankful feeling. Um, so then on Monday, our adrenaline was still going. I had taken the day off to be with her. Um, we were trying to get her car out of lockdown. Um, and that day, I had messaged Dave saying, you know, are, are we doing anything with Crosspoint? Are we getting together? Are we doing anything through... Um, any organizations in order to help with any relief efforts. Um, at that time, early in the afternoon, nothing had been set yet. I ended up having a dental appointment, which made me totally miss the Benson chili dinner thing. Um, I had seen that, and everyone responded within an hour, and God provided that. And it was amazing to see that. But I have to say, a selfish part of me thought, God was shutting me out from being able to help. In that immediate moment, I thought that, but was that, what I wasn't thinking and remembering was that there was going to be so many other opportunities to help. Um, without a car, our daughter obviously needed transportation. So her early morning um, shift at her job at ICC um, caused me to drive her. Um, to East Peoria very early in the morning. We left a little bit before 5 a.m. And um, 
it was the eeriest drive through Washington, actually not through Washington, but on the edge of Washington that I've ever taken. Even though you couldn't see anything, you could see that it was completely dark. There was nothing going on. Um, and as, um, you know, we go through the stoplights and everything, everything's just black, but big, large um, construction lights are on. Um, no one was on the roads. Get her to school. Actually, I'm sending her off for a five-day tournament, so she's going to be gone again from me. So that was difficult to kind of get her safe and then let her go again. So that was hard. Um, but I knew God was watching over um, I got in my car and I drove back through um, out of campus onto 24 and drove past crossroads. And I remember just getting an overwhelming sense and feeling from God that someone needed to be in there praying with those people. There were a few cars in the parking lot, but you knew that there were people in there taking shelter. And for whatever reason, I just had it on my heart that people needed to be in there praying with them. Um, that's when I kind of went into the mode of, now we need to help, we need to do this. And it waited on my heart all morning at work. And in the afternoon, I had logged in um, to Facebook, and I had seen a post regarding um, being able to help with the uh, Ministry of Presence through the Salvation Army. I was second in line after Kelly. Um, but it seemed odd to me that God would try to use me in this way. Um, I knew what he had said to me as I drove past at 5 a.m. And then seeing this on Facebook, I thought, this has to be the door that he's opening. I know this is from God. I know what this, he has prepared me for this. Um, so I had to step through and I had to say yes. Um, couldn't deny that it was from God. It was way too just timely. Um, but it's where God needs me. Um, and in effort with Kelly, um, we were able to get a group of eight of us together to go over for the training. And I have to say this was a blessing of community in itself because some of the ladies that were with us I knew already and some of them I had not. Um, and for us to come together in this way was just added a special blessing to my heart because, you know, these are people that you're with every Sunday and you don't know them. <laughs> but it takes a disaster like this to bring you together. Um, and I have to say, all the other ladies are doing so many good things. Um, I feel like I helped to facilitate the group and get us together and get the ball rolling and keep the communication open, which is difficult because you have to be really flexible in times of disaster because things change on a dime. Um, but what I witnessed was amazing acts of kindness um, between church groups, um, communities, um, God providing when needed, um, just people coming together and being community no matter your background, where you're from, or what your beliefs even are. Um, the first night that I had, had gone over to um, 
crossroads and helped with the Ministry of Presence. I actually talked with more volunteers than I did actual displaced people. Um, and in one um, kind of resounding thing that I had heard was a lot of people in Washington being um, in a place of feeling guilt because their home was not destroyed and um, that was weighing a big heavy toll on their hearts. So I think for them to just be able to lift that and, and give that to, you know, get that off of their chest or whatever, have someone pray for it, um, was a big, a big help. Um, let's see. Um, the biggest day, I would say, was the day that we were able to um, help with the canteens. Um, we were placed outside of Georgetown Commons, and um, we saw people reunited with um, their pets. We saw people reunited with their neighbors. We saw people reunited with their wedding gowns. Um, it was probably the most thankful day that I've had. About the time that we needed something in the truck, someone brought it or brought something that took that need away. We had displaced people returning work gloves after they used them because they felt someone else needed to use them now. Uh, we had other community members bringing us food. Um, we had displaced people that were out doing their Walmart shopping, bringing food from Walmart, saying, here, you're going there, take this. Um, ways that the communities have been brought together through this has been amazing, and it's going to touch me for the rest of my life. Um, two and a half years ago, when I was, you know, when we took the trip down to um, Alabama, I would have never thought that something like this would be in our own community. Um, but God has definitely stepped in and provided and um, brought together people that, that would maybe not normally have ever been put together. And, and two, in my own personal um, thing, I had gotten to a point, I think, too, in my life where God had always been a part of my life. Um, I always feel like I had been considered a Christian. Um, but I never felt like he was doing something big in my life. Like, I never had that big God aha moment. Um, you know, and I had kind of gotten to a point where I wasn't sure if he was really working in my life. Um, but definitely he was, and he is. And um, I just hope for a lot more God aha moments in the future. So, that's it. Thanks, Donna, and thanks, Kelly, for uh, sharing. <clears throat> um, all right, if you got a Bible, go uh, Colossians 4. Uh, but we'll start in verse 7. Uh, the Apostle Paul is closing out this letter, and as is the case with many of his letters, he's talking about greetings, he's naming specific people, and, and so I, I feel like this is an opportunity for us to pull out some characteristics of community and relationships that you see uh, him talk about in some of these names. And so we'll pull out some things. I think it's going to be timely for us. We talk a lot about community around here, and um, that's not going to stop. It's not Crosspoint's idea. It's just a New Testament church idea uh, at, the, at the foundation of the New Testament church. And so um, we'll just work our way through this, and uh, 
Colossians 4, verse 7, Tychicus. And this is going to challenge my phonetics here. Lots of names that are not normal. All right, but Tychicus uh, will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. So Tychicus is the main person responsible for taking this letter of Paul's and delivering it to the church of Colossae. He's the point person. And if you think about who you're going to entrust a letter to, he's got to be dependable. dependable. He's got to be trustworthy. And um, so this is a, a trusted friend of Paul's. Uh, he might have gotten saved through one of Paul's missionary trips earlier. And so he gets described in three ways. Dear brother, faithful minister, a fellow servant in the Lord. I want to pull out three words in that. A dear brother, dear brother. In, in community, there is affection and love for one another. There's this uh, dear brother, a dear sister, a dear friend in the Lord. Um, uh, we truly care for one another. This is not an obligation to do community, but this is a, a relationship that we treasure and invest into. A faithful minister. In community, we're called to be faithful to one another. This is not a, I'm going to bail on you, but I'm going to walk with you through this. Uh, to bear with one another. We walk with one another through all of it. And then finally, he gets described as a fellow servant in the Lord. In community, we serve one another as well as serve with one another. Some of the greatest growth opportunities we have is not necessarily when we're circled up around one another and talking about our faith, but it's when we're uh, out uh, serving and in, uh, taking our faith into uh, actions and into the world around us. So uh, then verse 9, He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. So Tychicus is traveling with Onesimus, and we see here Paul mentions that Onesimus is from the city of Colossae, all right? So he's one of them. He's a townie, okay? Onesimus is a slave that gets talked about in the book of Philemon. Uh, he got saved through Paul's ministry and mission efforts, and you can tell by reading the, the letter of Philemon that he holds a very special place in, uh, in Paul's heart. There are people in our lives that by God's grace, we get, them, we get to see them saved, we see them grow in their faith, uh, begin to serve the Lord, and this is an estimus for Paul. He's seen the journey, and as a result, he, he holds a very special place in Paul's heart and life. One of the joys of living life in community is being able to see another person's faith grow and develop. You get a very clear sense that you're siblings in the family of God. And so as you love them, you, you pray for them, you encourage them. I've got some men in my life that I'm grateful to call them friends because I get this front row seat to their growth in Christ. And likewise, uh, they get a front row seat into my world, all right? So don't squander those opportunities. Be thankful for those relationships. God has not placed you in community by accident. You're there by design and by his providence. Verses 10 through 15, Paul is going to mention six fellow workers, three Jewish and three Gentile. In verses 10 through 11, he mentions uh, three workers. Uh, verse 10, my fellow prisoner, uh, Aristarchus, sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. All right, so let's briefly talk Mark because uh, there's more to the story of Mark than meets the eye here. Mark is a guy who started off strong with his faith, but then for whatever reason had a season where he struggled with his faith, and now he's strong again. Mark had served with Paul, uh, with, uh, with Paul early on, but then he had deserted him at some point. In Acts 15, you read of this exchange between Paul and Barnabas. They're partners in ministry, and Paul says, Barnabas, let's go back to some of these towns that we've done ministry in and check in on them, and let's, uh, let's check in on these people. 
And Barnabas says, okay, let's, let's bring Mark with us. And Paul says, no way am I bringing him. He deserted us before. And so uh, Paul and Barnabas, the Bible says, come into a sharp disagreement, which would have been fun to see what sharp disagreement really plays out in, in real life when, when you have a person, personality like Paul's uh, involved. All right, so they, they, they agree to disagree. Paul takes Silas, Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He's the pastor. I mean, he comes alongside Mark, and the two of them start to do ministry together. Barnabas uh, sees God working in Mark's life and just kind of brings him alongside and restores him to the faith. Then you fast forward to this Colossian letter written, and, and now Mark gets mentioned not in a negative light, but in a positive one. At the end of 2 Timothy, he gets, uh, Paul mentions him as, as Mark is someone who is helpful to my ministry. Now keep in mind, this is the guy who left Paul and deserted him. So what do we learn from this? Well, we see that community with one another is not always pretty and that there is some conflict involved. In fact, there will be conflict, and, that, and, and what we see here is that reconciliation can and should happen. Where brokenness once was, it doesn't have to remain. So the question for you is, who are you currently in conflict with? Who, who do you have a beef with right now? Who, who do you have a disagreement with right now? It might be recent, or it might be, have lingered for years. It's time to reconcile it. It's time to walk humbly. It's time to admit wrong. It's time to give and receive forgiveness. So if it's somebody in this room, make it right before you leave this place. If it's somebody with your family over this month, make it right with them. Make it right with them. Verse 11, Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. So let's talk about proved a comfort to me. Then these, these friends have been a comfort to Paul. God uses community to bring us comfort. So when you're struggling, when you're experiencing loss, when you're walking through a trial, godly friends bring comfort. So who do you need to comfort this week? The body of Christ is not just designed to get things done and to be missional. It's also designed to care for one another and to bring one another comfort. We see that in verse 11. Then verse 12, Epaphras, who is one of you? And a servant of Christ Jesus sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Remember that Epaphras is the church planter here. We see him wrestling in prayer for the people. All right. One thing we take away from this is that uh, to, to wrestle in prayer for one another, this is what happens in community. We're praying for our fellow brothers, brothers and sisters to stand firm in the faith, that they would mature and grow in their love for Jesus. We see this in Colossians 1, 9 through 14, and Paul's prayer there. So who are you praying for? How are you praying for one another? How can the community that you're involved in grow in praying for one another, to contend with one another, to, 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 to battle in prayer for one another? And then finishing out the chapter, verse 14, our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas sends greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans that, and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. The one thing I want to pull out of, of this is that last phrase, grace be with you. Understand that, it just was just a simple reminder that understanding that at the end of it all, 
the driving force behind our faith is God's grace. That daily we're in need of God's grace. And we are called to then extend that grace to one another. We've been created for and we've been called into community with one another. And today is an example of that. But community doesn't just happen under the roof of a church building. It happens seven days a week in those relationships. And so my encouragement to you is, even if community groups kind of uh, dwindle off these next couple of months and you might meet less, to still engage in community, to still engage in building 3D relationships seven days a week at work, at school, at home, in the community for God's glory. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for who you are and I thank you for your grace. I thank you that your grace is unending. It's, your love for us is unconditional that nothing can separate you, separate us from the love that we have in Christ Jesus. And we are grateful for that. God, I pray that if there's a specific next step that we need to take from this morning, that you would give us the conviction to do so. That we would not um, flee from that or resist that, but we would say yes to that, even if it causes us to humble us, especially if it causes us to humble our hearts, because we know that in the humility, we, we receive your grace. Thank you for your grace. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that dwells inside the life of a believer. And I pray here that for the people here who don't know you, Jesus, they would come to know you. They would come to know what it means to serve you and love you with their whole hearts and their minds and their strength. God, we love you, Jesus. Thank you for your great love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week. See you next week. We'll start our Christmas series, All Creation Sings, next Sunday. God bless.